Breaking news, world's richest guy decides he will buy that company he had second thoughts about. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris, what's happening? You know, money never sleeps. So, uh, so on we go. On Monday, Shares of Twitter rose 22% after Elon Musk said, you know what, I think I actually will buy this company at the original price that I agreed to way back when. And today, we are getting word that not all of the T's have been crossed and not all of the I's have been dotted. The, the agreement is not a done deal. And I'm curious what you think as you're watching all of this play out. So, the T's and the I's were, he provided a letter to both the the chancery judge in Delaware, uh, who would be overseeing the case that would be coming up, the trial that is that would be upcoming, and basically saying everything's good, pending thirteen billion dollars in financing that I put into place before, and uh, pending financing is actually a term that you would you know that you would expect to see in any deal, but. This is Elon Musk we're talking about, who has tried to wiggle his way out of the deal, and so immediately, you know, so immediately, people have gone to the place of, what does pending mean? And to me, it's pretty straightforward. He's got to get the financing in place. I know, you know, world's richest guy. He doesn't have thirteen billion or forty-four billion dollars in a checking account. Right, he has to create and 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 get that capital because the shareholders of Twitter expect to be paid in cash for for their shares. So, essentially, what we're waiting on is a pro forma thing. But given the fact that there has been all sorts of tomfoolery from Elon Musk from about two weeks after he uh, agreed to the deal. I think that people are, are are looking at it and just keeping uh, keeping interest to see what happens next. If you are in the financing business, if you're insert name of large Wall Street bank, are you calling him up and saying, "Hey, we'd we'd be interested in talking about helping you finance this deal," or because of everything you just? Said about Elon Musk and everything we all have witnessed over the past six months. Do you just say, you know what, we're going to sit this one out because we're we're just not sure? I'm trying to figure out how to answer that question without mocking you, because <laughs> because Chris, I don't know if you've met investment bankers before, but. Some of them would sell their grandmothers in order to, you know, in, in in order to get to to a couple of bucks. So no, no, absolutely not. They will be all over this thirteen billion dollars in financing on a forty six forty four billion dollar deal. Oh no, no, they're yeah, they 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 would they would hang up on anybody for this deal. So I would not worry about that. The funny thing to me was was in thinking about the terms of by which this might get scuppered would be 
And Matt Levine uh, from Bloomberg pointed this out. He said, "Well, you know, the, the the we are contingent on the deal getting done. So, so there is there is the possibility that what Elon Musk is doing is simply pushing pushing the uh, the the case down the road by pretending to uh, you know to cooperate. But then there's also the potential that." One of the banks themselves might say, well, we're not sure we can do this deal, you know, because of all the bots, which would be unbelievable to have happen. But no, to me, this deal is getting this deal is getting done. It's getting done under these terms. It's getting done soon, regardless of those contingencies. Shares of Tesla are down 41% year to date. If you are a Tesla shareholder, are you hoping that this deal getting done means hopefully Musk can just sort of turn the keys of Twitter over to someone else and get back to the business of Tesla? Um, or like what 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 are you hoping for if you're a Tesla shareholder at this point? You know, I'm not sure that one has a whole lot to do with the other because Elon Musk has made it clear that you know that that the big problems that he wants to solve are uh, throwing throwing metal into space and changing uh, how the world moves from point A to point B. Those are those are his big issues. I see Elon Musk now that now that the potential for for Legal action has decreased, turning this over to other people. So yeah, you may have some more some more um, attention paid to the other parts of his empire by by Musk from here on out. Um, I'm not sure that the 41 percent down and Elon Musk being distracted by Twitter are necessarily a one to one relationship. I would think. I mean, I think it's pretty clear to say, you know, for someone whose whose net worth is in the nine digits, do I have that right? Yes. No, twelve digits. Yeah, I think it's more digits. Twelve digits. That's a lot of digits. He's had a tough year. He. he, Oh, oh well. Let me get out my tiny violin. Right. <laughs> Let me get out my tiny violin for the wealthiest person on the planet. Right, exactly. No, I do. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. But he's he has taken some pretty substantial hits, including the other day being told where he could stick it by the foreign minister of Ukraine after he came up with a you know with a plan that was basically like let's all just uh, let's just sing kumbaya and sort it all out. Um, so I think that he's probably looking forward to being in any way viewed as a savior at at uh, Twitter at this point. Earnings season starts in let's call it 10 days and once that happens we will start getting actual results and forward-looking commentary from the biggest most important companies in the country until then it kind of feels like everyone on Wall Street is just grasping, untethered, looking for something to latch onto to give us give them a sense of where the economy is going, where the market is going. Uh, what are you watching until we between you know between now and earnings season? What are you watching to give you a sense 
of where the economy is going. Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that's happening right now, and this is not necessarily earnings driven, or and it's not necessarily being driven by that schedule, that schedule, the thirteen-week schedule. And I do have some words to uh, to say about that. I think the biggest thing that's going on right now is at what point, you know, yesterday. Uh, the OPEC countries came out and said that they're going to essentially be slashing their quotas by about two million barrels of oil per day, uh, and we are already in an energy deficit and going into a much bigger one. So the only solutions there, uh, if are a reduction of energy consumption or an increase of supply. And to me, the biggest risk that we have economically right now in the US is stagflation. And stagflation generally comes when you've got uncontrolled energy costs that aren't that are that are sucking up uh, the oxygen for other parts of the economy. It's a big, big issue to me. Now, in terms of company earnings themselves, really what I'm looking for is companies coming out and saying, even if the news is bad, that they finally are having some form of visibility for what's going to happen over the next year. I think that it that people forget that that in 2020 and 2021, because we were in the midst of a pandemic, Companies and they're guessing all the time, but they had really almost no way of putting finger holds on what the next steps were going to be because the exogenous events were too big and too uncontrollable and too unpredictable. So now you have companies and by their hundreds that are sitting on either still have supply chain issues or they have inventory issues because they've produced too much. I think you're going to see this quarter the for the first time companies even if the news again is bad having some semblance of an idea of what's coming up next and we're going to start learning about it starting with the first earning earnings report here in a couple of days Bill, oh, man always great talking to you thanks for being here thanks chris part of the attraction of SaaS companies is they're efficient so, if you're looking for an efficient business, how about a retailer that sells gently used goods? Jim Gillies has a look at a small cap franchiser that's been quietly rewarding shareholders. With more, here's Ricky Mulvey. I think we're going to have to talk about one of the most underrated companies in the full universe. It's got a 94% gross margin, it's got a market cap of about $11 million per employee. And those metrics beat Salesforce, Meta, HubSpot, Atlassian, Adobe, and Zoom, and it sells gently used goods. We're talking about Winmark with Jim Gillies, Winmark superfan. Thanks for talking about the franchisor with me today. I will I will say, Ricky, you've given me something new to think about. I've never thought of comparing the gross margin from Winmark to Salesforce, Adobe, and all of the other tech titans. Um, so, thank you for that. Happy to look at uh, different stocks and numbers and trying to make comparisons that don't exist. Uh, this is a company that owns Play It Again Sports, Play-Doh's Closet, Once Upon a Child, among other brands. It's got about 1,250 locations and a $750 million market cap. This is a smaller company. 
it's 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 uh, I, I would say a lot of people kind of sleep on it but jim gillies why is winmark an interesting company to you Boy, that's a wide open question. Number one, I do like franchise companies. And uh, you've mentioned they are the franchisor of five gently used. I'm not sure if I stole that from Winmark years ago or if I coined it. Uh, gently used goods. You mentioned um, Play It Against Sports. They also have Plato's Closet, Once Upon a Child, Music Go Round, Style Encore. So Play It Against Sports, of course, is selling gently used or even new sporting goods. Plato's Closet is teen, uh, teen clothing, predominantly uh, female focused. Once Upon a Child, obviously children's uh, gear. Uh, children uh, grow to things quickly and they need a lot of, a lot of stuff. Music Go Round is the smallest concept, musical instruments. Uh, you can get rid of that piano or that saxophone you're never playing. And Style Encore is more women's business and casual attire. It's kind of a more upscale than Plato's Closet. Uh, but the reason I like franchising is, you know, franchising is I'm going to sell you a system. I'm going to sell you a concept. Uh, you are then going to give me five, six percent of your sales gross. That is not net. You're going to give me five, six percent of your sales off the top as a royalty every month. Plus, I'm going to get you to contribute to a fund for advertising. And so it, the franchising models tend to be extraordinarily capital light. There's not, you know, I'm, I'm not building the store. I'm not responsible for putting in the computer systems or what have you. Uh, I'm not even responsible for the lease. That's your job if you're the franchisee working with me. Uh, now, maybe I can use my cloud as the franchisor to get you a better lease rate. So it's kind of a win-win solution there. But these companies, franchising companies, there's a bunch of restaurant franchisors as well out there that I like. But the, the common denominator is they produce a lot of cash for not much capital invested. And so if you've got winning concepts, they are often winning stocks. And Winmark, no pun intended, happens to be a long-term winning stock. The company itself has has a couple of interesting angles. It's got in some in some growing franchises, it's it's trying to grow that style encore brand. It also has an interesting store credit system where you know you trade. Let's say you go to play it again sports, you trade your softball glove in, and we'll either give you ten dollars cash, fifteen dollars in store credit, and it's also starting to pay a dividend, a little a little above one percent. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about the dividend, Ricky. Ricky. All right, then I think you just picked where this conversation's going. What do you what what should investors watch of those three things that I just mentioned? Well, first off, a store credit system uh, is excellent. Uh, I have used Play It Against Sports a lot. I've got kids in hockey. I've got kids in skiing. We have availed ourselves of the store credit system once or twice at the local Play It Against Sports. And uh, yes, I always go for credit because you get more. And uh, I guess I'm a value investor through and through. They started paying a dividend in 2010. They started paying a dividend at two cents a quarter, right? Whoop de doo. The stock is two hundred and sixteen dollars this morning. So two cents a quarter. Who cares? A year later they bumped it to three cents a quarter. A year later they bumped it to four cents a quarter. A year later they bumped it to five cents a quarter, and you can probably see where this is going. Uh, a year later they bumped it to seven cents, then ten cents, then I believe fifteen cents, then I believe twenty-five cents. I think they paused a little bit for the start of the pandemic. Then they bumped it to 45 cents a quarter. And now they are paying 70 cents a quarter. So the dividend in just over a decade is up 35 fold. I haven't done the compounded growth of a 35 fold gainer in 11 years, but suffice to say it's high. And what's interesting about that is if you bought the shares, 
and full disclosure, I am an owner and I have owned shares here since before they started paying a dividend. So uh, I think my cost basis is around $21 a share. So you can hate me now or hate me later. It's your choice. But you know, 70 cents a quarter now what they're paying or 280 a year, 280 a year is what? 14% of my cost basis per year. That's, that's a nice little thing, but, but wait, there's more. Winmark also has this habit of declaring a special dividend periodically. In 2012, they paid a $5 special dividend. In 2014, they paid another $5 special dividend. In 2020, they paid a $3. And then in the end of 2021, they paid a $7.50. So if you add up the special dividends, which have come on top of the regular dividend, uh, I think they paid $20.50 in special dividends over the years. So basically my cost basis before we hit dividends. And again, they can pay all of these specials. They can pay this ridiculously growing special or a regular dividend because of the nature we talked about earlier. This is a franchising business that requires very little capital. As you said, there's $11 million per, per uh, employee in revenue. Very little capital maintained. There's not much to do with the cash that this business generates aside from return it to shareholders. And at its root, that's kind of what we want out of any investment, no? You know, it's wonderful to build castles to the sky, uh, and I would love to be part of the next big thing and, you know, in, in human evolution as we go forward. No, no, I, I, in my investing stuff, you pay me my money. This is great. I get my money back and I own a business that's still growing. What's not to like? Uh, so the dividend, and, and then the last piece of the dividend, you might say, well, okay, it's up 35, it's up 35 times in value plus those specials. Um, surely the dividend growth is done. And what I would say to you, as I'm looking for, um, over the past, over the past four months, sorry, four months, I'm saying 12 months, um, the company has produced about $41 million in free cash flow, just over $41 million. They've paid $35 million almost in dividends. So that looks like it's tapped out, right? Uh, you know, like most of their free cash flow is going to dividends, except don't forget there was that giant $7.50 special dividend there. Just the regular dividend. Uh, if, we, um, if we maintain just the regular dividend going forward, it requires just shy of $10 million to pay per year. And not only have they been paying this dividend and this rapidly growing dividend with all specials, they've also been buying back their own shares. And since the end of 2009, the company's bought back roughly a third of their shares. So even as the dividend goes up, there's less shares they have to pay the dividend on, which then provides another driver for potential dividend hikes in the future. If you get Jim Gillies talking about dividends, you're going to start running low on time. So I'm going to skip yeah, exactly. ahead a few questions. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> One, I want to talk a little bit about competitive threats to the business. Um, this might be concern trolling. I don't know if it's a real threat. <laughs> but when I went to play it against sports to buy my used softball glove, I noticed that a lot of the goods there were new. Uh, and according to FranchiseChatter.com, 70% of the inventory it played against sports is brand new. And that seems to go against the grain or the promise, if you will, of a um, used goods reseller. Uh, do you know if that practice is common across its other franchises? And do you think that that strategy now opens Winmark up to having more competitors like the internet, Dick's Sporting Goods, those, those types of outlets? 
Uh, first off, I don't believe it is common at that level across all concepts. Uh, I believe played against sports is more of a, um, a one-off on that front uh, as someone who has taken used skis into played against sports and walked out with new skis. I with my son and daughter a few years ago. I, yes, absolutely. There is, there is uh, new gear there uh, and it's reasonably priced. My second part of that answer would be uh, Ricky, take your used skis, take your used baseball glove, go to Dick sporting goods and ask them what kind of credit they're going to give you. And the answer is going to start with a zero and end with a zero. They'll, they'll probably tell me to leave. Yeah, like, like, like that's that's kind of the secret sauce is people are going in and they are taking their gently used goods and they are getting credit to, you know, because like, again, I, I'm a lifelong skier. My kids are so far lifelong skiers, you know, but, you know, when your kid's at two years old versus your kid's 18 years old, their gear is very different size use, blah, blah, blah. And so I have, you know, probably traded in three or four pairs of skis over the years for each kid as they've grown up. And I think I may make it in a weird way, uh, but you know, like a, a company like eBay, for example, uh, you know, eBay back in the day was auctions only, right? That's how it was. Now most goods on eBay are by now. And they've made that kind of transition there. There is room for multiple business models, within uh, a single concept but I, I i think the real the real hook and the and, and the larger the largest concept is plato's closet fo followed by once upon a child played against sports kind of in the middle uh and then style on corn music around a very small um but uh you know the 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 real hook is used goods and the store credit system and then anytime you're talking about a small cap company you want to pay close attention to leadership. And I think when Mark has fewer than 100 employees, what should investors know about uh, CEO Brett Hefts? Uh, Brett Hefts has been an able uh, and I think a, a good uh, successor to the man that got me interested in Winmark back in the day. His name, man's name is John Morgan. Uh, he, he basically, he'd already made a fortune, frankly, uh, in the small ticket leasing business. Uh, but you know he needed something to do, and so in 2000 he comes in, he buys I think about 13% of the company at about seven dollars a share, and then John Morgan, uh, who is now retired, uh, we're going to get the Brett Hats, but Morgan spends the next 14 years buying shares on the open market. At one point he owned nearly a third of the company, you know, putting his money where his mouth is publicly, uh, and and he he installed this kind of you know shareholder capital return structure, uh, lean expense structure, and Brett Hefts was his basically hand-picked understudy. And so in 2016, I believe, Morgan kicked himself upstairs from the CEO chair to, uh, to the chairman, executive chairman, and Brett Hefts, who had been there under Morgan for a while, gets promoted to the CEO slot. He has maintained the same culture, essentially, going forward, even after the exit of, you know, John Morgan. Um, and what they've done, essentially, is uh, you, you've already mentioned that they, they run fairly lean employees. They run... Um, uh, they they run. Uh, you, you look at the things like their cons, uh, their compensation across the senior executives. Um, you know, they. I think I think the the CEO total compensation is about ten or eleven times the average employee, which you know most companies are in the three hundreds or something, right? Um, 
and that's come along with like you know 20 21% annualized shareholder returns for plat, uh, for past several de- uh, for the past decade um, but as well uh, with Brett Hefts, you know I, I believe Hefts and the CFO uh, equal salaries equal bonuses equal equity awards uh, I believe the chief marketing offers, uh, officer, same deal, or I think she, we may have changed her over in the last year or so. Uh, but, um, you know, there is kind of this uh, where we are all going to win together attitude, which is very much a John Morgan thing that was brought in. And then again, Hefts was, um, he was, he was company president, I think, for 2011 to 2016. Uh, and he worked in, in admin and finance before that. So he, he has been, and I think he was even CFO from 2002, all of it under Morgan. He got the catbird seat to understudy for Morgan. And Morgan set up a great culture and has continued it. And you can't, you can't ask for more than that. Jim Gillies, appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.